uh, two things that needed to be done to get the economy moving. Uh, number one was deregulation, which has had an enormous impact upon businesses. Apparently, that they have taken uh, a scythe and just cut through thousands and thousands of pages of, of unnecessary regulations that hold back the development uh, of the country. And the second thing is the uh, is the tax cuts. And the tax cuts, I've heard many things about them, mostly are uh, from our friends on the left that, well, they're just temporary or they only help the wealthy. But the fact of the matter that's is— a, That's such a cheap argument. Well, but, but the fact of the matter is what happened was there's more ha- more money in the hands of more people. And those little bits of money in the hands of more people and larger amounts of money in they the hire hands people. of other people all trickle back into the economy till it eventually becomes a river and then a flood. All well, that money makes a difference because there's a compounding effect that additional cash has on the economy, and it's wonderful. Well, first of all, a reminder of any audience members who have just joined us, WSQF Radio 94.5 with the Mac on the Rock, which is myself, and I like to raise the volume when I say that. And uh, you're listening to The Concrete Gentleman with Mark Deanstag, a fellow cruiser like myself, supported Ted Cruz here in locally, which was not an easy thing to do because we had Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush also running in that election, but we stuck to our principles and applied them to our circumstances as people of principle do. And Mark, um, you're an attorney by trade. Uh, you pretty much understand government, unlike LeBron James, who knows very little about government and espouses Barack Hussein Obama, some great uh, president. And I was reading an article by a guy named Ludgren who just ripped into a new, I just ripped him a new one and said, look, my friend, we're both African-Americans. And don't you see what this president has done that your president did not do? Don't you see that this deregulation, these tax cuts have actually given this president within months of his administration uh, huge advancements in the economy to the point where we have 3% GDP and higher, 3.6, I believe, and also 3.2 or 3 unemployment all in the same swoop. And one thing you didn't mention other than tax cuts and deregulation is Getting rid of the original, the uh, the mandate in the Obamacare that allowed people to go beyond the the sixty six employees without having to give, you know, health care coverage to all their company. So that's a reason to expand to seventy five. And you add a lot of small businesses, which the government considers small. Hell, my small business only has three employees, so I can't think of a small business in the bizarre the irony that I can't think of a small business at seventy five. I I see that as a large business, and yet. When it comes to wealthy people in the IRS code, hell, 250 is wealthy, and that's not wealthy. Because I know what 250 is. I'm associated with a lot of people that are making 250. Yes, they uh, live a, a comfortable life. Yes, they may have an opportunity to vacation two or three times a year. But by no means can they not work. And a lot of people think wealthy people just you know sit back and uh, live off residual income. No, man, you bust your butt. And... It's a situation where we've got to somehow get people to understand government is not the answer. Doesn't ever answer, never answers a single unanswerable grievance. All the grievances we have today from school shooting to broken families to, I saw the video, have you seen the video about West Philadelphia recently? Oh, my God, that video 
I don't know how long it's been out there, but I just caught it two or three times from two, two or three different people. A lot of people have already seen it. And this guy just takes a drone over West Philadelphia, man. He just tells you how the Democrats have controlled this. And he gets into the minutia of how these people can retire fairly quickly after representing uh, city councils and county officials with huge pensions. And they just empty promises, hand out a bunch of money, and everybody sits on the sidewalk on top of the the mattress that somebody threw out the, the, the third door balcony and there it sits on the sidewalk for the next 10 years. So... These are unanswerable grievances. If people don't just get up and, and, and want something, no government's going to help you do anything other than get you to continue to believe what you're already believing and then complaining about why you're not succeeding because you're in a hole and you keep on digging. That's what I got to say for the moment. Hopefully that provokes a thought while I go get water in the refrigerator. Because we can't have dead air on the radio. You understand that. And no matter what's ailing you, no matter what your wife said about... Are we on the air now? Yes, we are on the oh, air. Oh, okay. I, what do you think? I was just talking to myself. Oh, you thought you, I was in therapy you, and you were you, listening to me. You did go on some. I, you didn't prescribe me anything today, man. What's up? Well, if you'd keep some good uh, good Scotch or Irish whiskey uh, in the on the premises, uh, the, uh, the words would flow more trippingly from my tongue. However, uh, we have known... For about 240 years, that free enterprise, specialization, and trade are the things that make people's lives better. That's what wealth is about. It's making people's lives better. And that brilliant um, uh, Scotsman, Adam Smith, in two books, uh, most familiar with The Wealth of Nations, of course, uh, really described how specialization, free trade, without government interference, results in phenomenal uh, wealth. An increase in quality of life. In everybody's, uh, across the board. And by wealth, we're not talking about having a a, a pile of gold sitting someplace which does nothing. We're talking about all those things that make everybody's lives a little bit easier, a little bit happier. If you think of today, what we command, as opposed to a generation, two generations ago, what we command in terms of the comforts of life, it's night and day. Right now, this is going back some time, right now we can turn on a radio, CD, whatever, and we can have an entire symphony orchestra. Did you say CD? Well, whatever. Explain, you know, I'm, I'm or explain a, a to the audience <laughs> okay, all right. what a CD is. A radio, 33 they think, and a third, a they think it's a certificate of deposit earning 1%. A 33 1%. and a third RPM. We have at our fingertips all of the music in the world. The, the, the finest, the, the most wealthy um, monarchs in Europe 150 years ago didn't have this. We have refrigeration that brings us fresh fruit, uh, food from all over the world. Um, we have um, uh, people who specialize, let's say, in just container ships. Yeah, and, pa- and, the- and paper containers to, to be able to ship milk from Norway to the United States, and you can drink it that morning. <laughs> the, all of this specialization, all of these people that, that, that have devoted themselves to one tiny aspect of the economy, free of government interference, have developed systems that make our lives just absolutely fabulously better than those of our parents, grandparents, etc., going back. And this was first described by Adam Smith more than 240 years ago. And in dealing with 
those who like big government, it's as, as though they just didn't understand what he was saying. Or took it for granted and didn't want to understand what he was saying. Well, the other uh, way of looking at things is Because Venezuelans got to be thinking of that now, which we'll speak about in a moment. They've got to be saying, my God, we would have just understand Adam Smith. If someone would have just taught us and translated in Spanish and taught it in school, why, I mean, why would we let go of something like that? I mean, we saw the Cubans do it. Well, you know, one of the things you just touched upon is extremely important, and that is school and and education. Our founders lived in a society where 97 to 98% of the people were literate. I mean truly literate, could read, could write, could reason. And uh, we live today in a society where I doubt 40 or 50% are truly literate, that can read, write, and reason. The public school system in the United States has just gone through a tremendous meltdown. Uh, And nobody wants to do anything about it except for yours truly. Well, there's that. uh, I'm watching. And when you deal with societies that have large illiterate populations that don't really – that have not really been taught – how to think critically, how to read and analyze things, how to look around them and, and come to proper um, conclusions, you have the opportunity for demagogues uh, to gain an enormous amount of, pro- uh, of power by promising things they can never possibly deliver. But stay in power in the process. Well, Because the, they can always blame someone. I well, promise you this. No, I can't well, give it to you because of this guy. The name of the Re-elect game, me. I, I, my personal view is that those who want big government are really evil because they know exactly what that means. That means that they who are part of the government and bureaucracy get to live wonderfully, whereas the rest of the society is slowly but surely destroyed. That's what the game is. That's why the Soviets, when they took power, Lenin took power in those days, everybody the Politburo, all the bureaucrats live very, very You know, it was nice one of the lives. first things he did when he came to power. I don't think people understand that. He proposed the separation of the family. If you got divorced, the state would take back the home, and the state would become your parents, get the man out of the home, because Russia, Mother Russia, could take care of you better. And what do we do? We were impressed with that. And guess what? That's what destroyed the American family, no-fault divorce. Someone was talking about that the other day on Judge Judy. Can you believe it? Judge Judy (laughs) came out with a big statement. Uh, and, you know, of course, it's a, uh, you know, uh, choreographed or, you know, rehearsed program. But she had two people, male and female. Female immediately assumed she's going to get custody of her child. And the guy's complaining that she's kicking me out of the house. And I said, well, if I'm going to be leaving right now, I'm taking my child with me because I don't know what you're going to do with the child. She goes, uh, I sued him and I had him arrested. Why'd you do that? You didn't have more rights to the child than he did. This young person said, ah, that isn't what I was told. I go, I'm sorry. After you're divorced, there has to be a court order to determine who, who is with the child, uh, who's going to be raising the child, and who gets and visitation and all. But right now, he has equal rights to his child. So he did not kidnap your child. That was his daughter. And, uh, of course, you can imagine all the live streaming, all the comments, because it was a little snippet of a video on Instagram, which is today's, uh, I don't know, today's letter. People even are the most... None, none among us 
can get on social media and pretend to be significant. And in fact, some people are very significant, as as I introduced the uh, the Mer, uh, Melissa, who I, I met, thirty thousand followers, and came out of nowhere. And there's people like that, and that I'm now engaging in because of this radio station. But going back to the things that you're dying to tell us, because they'd rather hear from you than from me. You believe that, as I believe that, you know, government is obviously the problem. Our public school is a disgusting mess. You saw another shooting yesterday. It's very sad. But these people whose children are, are being assaulted with a weapon never even consider a teacher having a gun. Never even consider that the principal, the, uh, the maintenance man, whoever wants to have one who can show license to carry one like I have, like you have, should carry in school. And so what? And make it very clear by huge signs like they have in Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, we use deadly force to protect our children in this school. Period. No little sick kid's going to go in there with a gun knowing that it's going to be firing back at them. Why can't liberals understand that, that when their kids are dying, you can't disarm the American people because some kid with a, an emotional problem, with an axe to grind, a freakazoid, on drugs, on meth, could be any of these combinations, can come in your school and kill your child. I would hate for this to happen anywhere. But my God, the solution is the gun. The only way to kill a bad person with a gun is a good person with a gun. What do you think about what happened in Colorado? And the hero, the, the hero kid who tackled my, the gunman. Who, first of all, my understanding is that the that there were uh, uh, two perpetrators. Yes, and that um, the perpetrators uh, had, from my point of view, deep psychological problems. One being sort of a, I think, is being ch- transgendered is in the middle of some kind of a. It of wasn't a, going well. Of, of a process of transgenderization. The other one was a. Uh, an avowed homosexual, both of them, from my understanding, were getting bullied. Had, probably, both of them, from my understanding, uh, uh, hated uh, Trump and felt it was their duty to uh, focus um, hatred on Trump uh, by murdering their fellow students. Well, you know, if you want to now get then get to the the, the issue of, of of guns, my view is. You know, rather, I, go ahead. Um, is rather expensive, expansive, and it's based upon the intent of uh, the founding fathers. I think the American people should be uh, armed at least as well as uh, the government is armed. That means the American people should have. Wait afforded. a minute! The liberals are going to stand on their head. They're going to say, "You're well, well, you want a rocket launcher in your backyard?" <laughs> well, yeah. Nothing, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Why not? They should. That's got to be sitting really well. That's concrete conservatism our, right there. <laughs> it's not conservative. It is directly from our Constitution. The right to keep and bear yeah, arms. Yeah, the militias. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. In any way, It doesn't mean shape or form. that Tuesdays and Wednesdays you can limit people's access to weapons. It doesn't mean on Thursdays you can limit their access to the, to, to, to the rounds, the bullets that make those weapons work, it means that that right shall not be infringed because, as we know from our Constitution, and those of us who have taken an oath, have sworn to protect the Constitution of the people of the United States from all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And everybody has always known that the major enemy of the United States, of the people of the United States, 
not the government, but the people of the United States, is the domestic enemy, those that would try to take control of us and limit our liberties. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, to paraphrase him, and I forget his exact uh, uh, his exact words, but he said something to the effect of, of, of an enemy of ours could never so much as, as come and, and sip from the Ohio River. Uh, we were that strong. Uh, the Japanese, uh, in analyzing whether or not it'd be worthwhile to uh, actually invade mainland America with as a populace, um, one of the generals said, uh, actually the, the admiral um, uh, said that he lived in, uh, in America and behind every blade of grass there would be a gun. Uh, the reason that we have rights to guns, to weapons, not guns, to weapons of all kinds, is to protect our liberty. Now, having said that, there are certain classes of people that should be determined not to be able to have guns. And if you're going to have a list of people in the world uh, or in the United States, there should be a list only of those who should not have access to guns. Well, what happens in and this case, uh, this boy took his parents' guns to do this. Well, you know, I, one can never do anything about that's what I call a, That's what I call about an answerable grievance. We might have that statement. We might want to do this. But how do you keep a two numb numb parents who know that their kid is a little bit off kilter? And well, if you have a child with off kilter, you have to be very vigilant well, they should be. that you got to spend the extra money for the, the gun vault combination, handprint, canos, and make sure that your kid who's a little off kilter well, uh, doesn't have access to these guns. And yet they don't do that. There, there, there are methods in the law of holding a parent responsible for the acts of a child if a parent behaves badly. Negligent. In addition to that, the parents can be sued for having negligently allowed access uh, to the weapons by someone that apparently was um, mentally unstable or mentally unbalanced. Uh, that's for the courts to decide. There is you know, blood money to be paid in those instances. Merely because that happens from time to time, a lunatic gets hold of a gun, doesn't mean you limit the rest of America from having guns. That's like, kind of like saying, hey, there are drunks on the road that kill people and, and crazy people that draw, and, and kill people by using the car as a weapon. Therefore, we're going to prohibit all Americans from driving cars to prevent those incidents from taking place. It's, it's an absurd argument. Or you can't drive to the liquor store. You have to walk. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. When I was a when I was a young man many years ago, we had no trouble driving to and from the liquor store. <laughs> and 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 the cop wasn't interested in pulling you over because he accepted just only one wheel on the uh, uh, what do you call it? Well, <laughs> well, things were one quite, wheel on the a passing lane. Things were a bit different then. A policeman might take you into custody, then ask somebody else to come and come and get pick you. up the car and, and 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 get you. And there's a lot more. Now there's big now there's big business in DUI. Was a traffic school and mitigation and counseling? Oh, yeah, there's big business and all that kind of stuff. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I'm i not going to name plus names. The, plus the insurance companies get there, higher rates, too. But there are lots and lots of judges who have friends and family members who run traffic schools and things of this particular nature. And uh, and the judges themselves getting DUI. Which is, well, that's a, that's a, that's whole, a, that's a Miami thing, I guess. It's probably a Kentucky thing, and it's also a Tennessee thing. Well, now, come on. I, I, I'm excluding... Uh, the state that you are holding dear, 
you've got a nice story to tell about Virginia and uh, your daughter getting married and and uh, that's you know I, I I give your wife more credit than you do but nevertheless I know you're very proud either way you're done you did all this work and now you are paying the price with your credit cards <laughs> look at him look at a big smile so how big is this house how's how long is it going to be renovated uh when are the kids coming because then you have to add extra rooms because cribs babies all that stuff i had a tremendous experience of a very dear friend of mine who gave birth the other day and uh, i was very moved when uh, the mom was doing the facetime of the birth and uh the baby's uh, already been delivered, and now comes the, the the glee and the joy. And there are a bunch of heads in the waiting room, or all her girlfriends, right? And uh, But at the top of the heads, you know, if you think of a clock, there was a head for every every number on the clock. And at 12 o'clock was me, leaning in there, just overwhelmed because she wanted me to be there. And, uh, man, in the middle of all that, she goes, oh, Manny, you're here, so thank you, and starts sending me kisses and stuff. That's the stuff that life's about. And I walked away that night saying, man, there was the best five hours waiting for a baby that I've experienced other than the birth of my own daughter because I'm right there. But this is real, man. And, and what has love got to do with it? It's got everything to do with it. And yet people don't really get it that if you let government screw up our lives, we got no time to love. We got there's a there'll be a rule against loving one day. What do you think? See, I got you off the credit card. See, I got you off how much you're spending. Well, on drywall. Every and, time you begin to talk, you're going about fifteen different directions, and then you come back to me. Come to, on, fifteen to, like to, five. To, come back to, to, to back down, to back to set, back dead center. The, What's on, up with on, you? On the trail. You know, come on, uh, Barney. I'm Fred. Hey, Fred. So um, what is it exactly that you wanted me to comment on? I'm not clear. Uh, I go back to the credit cards. Credit How much are you spending to renovate your daughter's well, beautiful home in Virginia? I, I, all I'm going to say is that— uh, And don't I, say where you're buying the stuff from. All, all I'm saying is that um, I originally was as an from— ace, As an ace dealer, you cannot say the competition's name, which I'm sure is where you're buying all this stuff from. Because you're not going to your local ace store in Virginia. That's another direction, by the way. I am from, uh, I was born in Virginia and then grew up through the South and whatnot. My daughter now is stationed in Virginia. She's full-time uh, military. Her, uh, her, her husband-to-be uh, uh, was full-time military, did uh, three tours on the rock pile. Uh, rock pile means Iraq? Or rock pile just means Afghanistan. rock pile? Afghanistan. Ooh. Uh, and uh, he's out now. He's... Um, Taking advantage of the GI Bill and been active to participate um, and do an internship in another branch of the U.S. government, which he is taking advantage of this summer. And so my wife and I thought it was appropriate uh, to uh, assist them in acquiring a house. And actually, how he did it was this: it was a beautiful colonial revival house built about 1900 in a place called Old Wythe in Hampton, Virginia, which is on the right side of the bridge in terms of the base where she works. It had fallen to some disrepair. It had been foreclosed and went up for auction. Perfect and, opportunity. And so my wife and I put up the uh, the auction money. We went to a certain point. As a matter of fact, we're, we're on, we were on an airplane about to fly someplace else, and we're on the phone with my daughter who was doing, we won, doing, Dad, doing, we doing won. the bidding. 
And uh, I, I said, go ahead, go for it, go for it, go for it. And she it was way beyond what she expected to, uh, to get the house for, but it went, and we immediately wired up the money and closed the transaction. And then we, we got into the house, and uh, it has been for the last year or so um, steady renovation. And my <laughs> wife has uh, gone up there. Matter of fact, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bachelor now this last month, getting the house finally ready for the wedding and everything else. But it's a beautiful, I'd say it's about uh, a little over 2,000 square feet without the uh, outer buildings in there. There's four uh, bedrooms and two baths in the main house, and there's a separate side bu little building with a separate bedroom and bath. Uh, we rebuilt the uh, kitchens, the bathrooms, flooring. Uh, uh, we just got done uh, with paint contract, painting the outside. It is just a Did you gorgeous. use Benjamin Moore? Huh? Huh? Did you use Benjamin Moore, damn it? I, I, I'm not going to be in advertising for the various and sundry products that we use. <laughs> We're exclusive we Benjamin use, Moore dealers we, we, here in Key Biscayne. We, we all use first-rate products, and it's just wonderful. Oh, wait and, a minute. You associated Benjamin Moore with first-rate products. We use and That so, was an infomercial so, right there. And so I am a, a bachelor now. Uh, my wife is finishing up the house there because they're going to have the wedding. After the initial wedding, the reception is going to be at the house. And my daughter said, listen, Dad— uh, don't spend all that money on a, just a, a wedding and a venue and stuff like that. Instead, put it all in my house. Absolutely. Which actually makes some sense. Yeah, that way you can have a reception every day for the rest of your life. Something like that. So I've been, I, I've been here in Miami alone now for more than a month and will remain so until uh, I take off for Virginia for the wedding that takes place on, uh, uh, during uh, Memorial Day weekend. Oh well, all the they're, they've got military on both sides, and uh, and Absolutely. new in-laws, uh, the consuegros they call him, I think. On the other side, he's a yeah, consuegros. He's a former Navy, uh, you know, see Top Gun. Yeah. Well, he, he was the guy in the, in the second seat for many years, and wow. And uh, so it, it it's going to look like a convention of uh, of military. Uh, up there, but it's going to be great. It's going to be a great party, and I'm and to make and to make you uh, feel military again, you know, because you're once you're military, you're always military. Yeah, uh, well, being a civilian ain't bad. It's pretty cool. Uh, a person like myself, a son of immigrants, always wondered uh, what it would be like to, you know, to be military. But it's just wondering because I know for me to be military, I would have had to have been drafted. I wouldn't have. I didn't have any. Uh, compelling reason, other than my natural patriotism, I just can't stand the idea of screaming and someone screaming in my face and me and end up in lockdown for two weeks because I talked back or something. That's a real problem for me. But other than that, I think uh, I, I think I'm for introducing kids to military before they graduate from high school. I think the last year should be military. I really do. Just like the Israelis, you know, thirteenth year of of high school. You got to do military, push-ups, pull-ups, weapons, uh, responsibility, manners, well, when, when decorum. I, that I, would help every was, high school student. When I was growing up, um, as I recall, I may be wrong, but as I recall, in the sixth grade, and it wouldn't be so hard because fast. a lot of schools and a lot of community colleges ROTC just incorporated into the into well, mandatory to graduate. As I was saying, when I turned 12, 13 years old in 
some of the schools, at least in the South, I know that they all had uh, safety courses, and some of them had as an extracurricular activity a riflery, uh, riflery course. Um, of course, I'm a little bit older than you are, so everybody was sort of expected to be uh, well, pretty much was uh, either deferred through university education or, or went yeah, into you're the going, services. You, are you implying uh, Vietnam War era? Yeah, I'm an old guy. Anyway, um, but to get back to the point I was making a long, long time ago, the only limitation on possessing firearms of all kinds should be people who are criminals, have a criminal history, and people who have uh, mental problems. Yeah, but what happens for those in those circumstances who live with right-minded people in homes and they get a hold of these weapons? That's the problem. Well, well, that shows a lack of responsibility on the part of the parents. Or, or caretakers. The, or, or, that's right. You, you, personal responsibility is the foundation of our civilization. You can't just kick, you know, uh, kick the can down the road in terms of uh, personal responsibility and turn it over to the government. That's, that's a sure way to anarchy, eventual anarchy. Personal responsibility is everything. Our civilization is built upon personal responsibility. Our civilization is built upon education. Our civilization is, 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 is built upon the laws of Noah and the Ten Commandments. That's what our civilization is Although built we can't, upon. Although we can't, we can't read those Ten Commandments anywhere. They're not allowed to be in public places. Well, that's, uh, that, that's we not really them. accurate. There are some municipalities that have caved into the uh, outlandish claims of uh, people who are offended by the Ten Commandments. Well, I'm offended that they're offended. Well, there's that, too. I mean, the only thing to be done, really, is to make fun of people who behave in outlandish fashion. Well, guess what? They might be the majority already. That's the problem. I I believe it differently. I, I believe in going at it from a legal standpoint. I would declare atheism, non belief, as a faith of nihilism. And since atheism is the belief of believing in nothing, it takes effort, it has an agenda, it is persistent, and it's the faith and the belief of nihilism. And if you declare atheism a faith in court by law, then you can't favor it. And if you favor it, the perfect example of favoring it is knocking down the Ten Commandments in a public square. You're favoring atheists. You're favoring a faith. Because I believe the founders... The reason why it's not in the Constitution, separation of church and state, is nothing but a decree, a degree, or sorry, a decree from a court based on a letter Jefferson wrote to some elders in his faith, and it was supposed to be a green grass hedge that was quite frankly see-through, so that people can express their have an expression of faith, and there should just be a separation between the government funding faith in any capacity, like the King of England at the time, or to not impede on other person's desires, faith, because you're imposing your morals onto them. Well, look, look, first of all, the way it's phrased now in terms of separation of church and state... It should be separate. The point I was trying to make is separation of church from state, meaning church higher hierarchy than the state. 
separation of church from state. Now, don't don't give me that face like uh, I just for you to take a breath. Don't give me that face like I took the car keys, man. I'm waiting for you to take a breath. I'm home on time, Dad. Uh, I'm waiting for you to take that breath. I'm five minutes before midnight, Dad. I'm not. I haven't drank. Uh, not even Kool Aid. Or am I drinking the Kool Aid of conservative bonafide? Excuse me, Anne Rand. Excuse me. As I was saying, the so-called what they call separation of church and state is not that at all. What the Constitution says is that. The Congress of the United States will not establish a religion, an official religion for the state. That's all it says. It doesn't say there's a separation of church and state in the sense that uh, the government of the United States cannot be in any way, shape, or form involved in religion or prayers or people swearing on a on a. Well, how Bible. about what Bush it, wanted, which is the Congress being able to allocate money in the budget for um, drug relief programs that are being run by a church. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. There's wrong. nothing wrong with that. If, if various of the institutions uh, that make up our so- civil and civilized society can more effectively deliver aid to those who need it, then that's what you do. You bring together all of those institutions that help people. And you help those institutions if you think that's appropriate. There's nothing wrong with, with, with that. Of course, there's an industry that tries to take advantage of every tax dollar it can to hire people at our expense who then deliver goods, monies, and services to people who can't take care of themselves when that could be done pretty much without any cost by just turning over that same money to, let's say, uh, church organizations that are local. Yes. And certainly or Kiwanis or Lions or... And, and certainly the church and other organizations that are local have a much better idea as to who is deserving of aid versus who is just a freeloader. And the worst thing about uh, that, that harsh reality is that because it's politically correct, because it's politically expedient, because it'll get you reelected, they give it to the worst possible administrator, service provider, the government, instead of giving it to the Rotary, the, the Kiwanis. Well, look, uh, there's so much. I mean, the, the Veterans Administration says it clear. You're a, you're a military uh, person. You understand how sucky the, the veterans are. But you also understand that some people in the Veterans Administration, some patients, actually get care. And they have no complaint. They stay quiet. They don't talk about how sucky the Veterans Administration is because it just so happens that they only needed an aspirin. But they, they know the story of the, the person who doesn't get care at all and uh, might still have a gun. <laughs> well, my, my, my understanding, again, it, it is third-hand stuff. My understanding is that with the changes that took place uh, with the coming of the Trump administration, whereby they made it much easier to terminate uh, the services or contracts of those who are not fulfilling their obligations, uh, a sea change has begun to take place in in the VA. Some of the VA hospitals and services are, are pretty good. Some are just absolutely abysmal. That's are, you mostly, say, are you saying that by locality or by across-the-board reality? No, in, in some locations, the VA is pretty good. My own feeling was that it be f- far better if the VA staff 
was composed of ex-military guys and gals rather than, you know, uh, the people that they hire off the street uh, or, you know, uh, uh, career uh, bureaucrats. Because people who've been in the military, who've been in the position where, for example, with the PS, uh, PTSD and, the, and wounds and stuff like that, they get, they've been there. And these are their these are their brothers, brothers in arms, people that they have uh, uh, served with, and they're going to be much more motivated to take care of things properly for well, the people who. Are being well, served. I had an experience once at a coffee shop in Tampa. It was during the uh, Republican convention in 2012, the Romney convention, where he dropped the ball. And I was there in the mili- and there was a military guy just rambling uh, outside the coffee shop. So I just let him roll. And we videotaped that one, and it got really uh, something we could not publicize. Uh, we looked at each other, me and a fellow that I was with, and we were astonished. He was so articulate, too, but completely devastated by his experience at the Veterans Administration. He was talking about uh, terrible experiences of being violated uh, in places where they would drug him, and, that's, and he would say that that drug doesn't work for me, and they gave it to him anyway. And it's it cr- uh, created hallucinations. In fact, I thought that he was hallucinating to the descriptive stuff he was AWOLed for in camps far, like you said, in the, in the rock pile in Afghanistan and Iraq. And it was this, this person uh, should not have been on the streets. He should not have been sitting at a coffee joint. That, that person should have been in a psychiatric facility. And on top of that, he was strong, handsome. Uh, it wasn't uh, disheveled in any way. He was clean-shaven. But, man, he had one twisted head to the point where I go, hey, if we put this up on Facebook, uh, all hell's going to break loose because he's, he's basically told us of uh, literally of experience that are criminal that were occurring during his care. And I was like, whoa. Uh, well, th- that hopefully is being addressed at this time with any kind of luck. Uh, with the reforms that have been put in place uh, most recently by this administration. This administration? Uh, Hopefully all those things are going to be taken care of as as we move forward. So, uh, Mark, because of his ancestral beginnings, he's having a real difficult time with basic mobile phone plugs, chargers, uh, he wants everything to be like George Jetson, and he doesn't know that the Jetsons was a cartoon. It's not, we're not there yet. What are you talking about? Did you arrive here in a flying saucer or something? I don't know. Because you're, you know, you're fidgeting with all that electronic stuff I have here. I know it's fun here. This is like PlayStation. But I've given you the one that most matches the, the clothes you wear, well, you, you, a blue you, charger for your phone, and your phone you, has a blue cover. So put the blue charger on the blue phone, and it will be charged. Don't touch the black one. The black one's for magnetic charging. The black one is a landing station. You just For those who have that type of phone, they can just drop it on that pad that you see there that you're dying to play with. Um, if you have an iPhone, and I believe you do. This is an iPhone. Is that one? IPhone. That one's there for you. See? This is not an iPhone. You have an Android. Yes. Okay. Then in that case... Why we we? Because I'm here full service. Do you, do you want to have a a meaningful discussion about something? Or we well, we gonna... can talk about the Trumpster in a second. You know, he's on. He's right now ripping into China, and he's allowing uh, 
his AG to testify if uh, Mueller, if Mueller testifies. Meanwhile, CNN is trying to keep Comey out of jail. He's on there lying through his teeth that he didn't spy on the Trump administration. It's called FBI surveillance. Well, um, using FBI informants to entrap and entrap a bunch of people, costing well, let, lives. Let's take it. You know what? Let's uh, take what, it step by step. Okay. Whether it be from the Democrats or the Republicans, the misuse of our our power, our Justice Department, of our government, to interfere with the outcome of a um, uh, of an election is tantamount to treason, in my view. I'm old enough to recognize that um, Nixon was forced out of office because he even considered using the IRS as a weapon against his opponents. It appears from what has transpired, and again, we don't know that for sure, but it appears that the Obama administration or people in the Obama administration Utilize the Justice Department, the FBI, maybe the CIA, for purposes of interfering in the um, in the election process. In my view, that's tantamount to treason. That's the domestic kind of enemies that we're talking about, and that needs to be punished as a treasonable offense. Remember, the United States government was established to protect the rights of the citizens of this country. That's what it was established for. No other reason. We brought this kind of government onto this continent so that we could protect all the liberties that we had traditionally recognized as I thought we formed this country so that California, New York, and Illinois could control all the presidential elections. Without an electoral college. We have an electoral college for that. You know, at one point in time, people, if they're educated, will recognize what's going on. Venezuela, I've been to Venezuela a number of times over the years, before the the president administration was in there. And by that, I mean both uh, Chavez and Maduro. And it certainly was true that although a significant portion of the population of Venezuela lived very well, and there's a strong developing middle class in Venezuela, mostly due to um, oil. The oil revenues that came in. But they also built, you know, the power plants, the Orinoco project, etc. There still was an enormous number of people who didn't live very well. The other aspect of it that led to, to these guys coming to power was the fact that because the oil revenues were controlled by the government, not by private enterprise, there was an enormous amount of corruption. Gross. As opposed to... PDVSA. So therefore, guys like Maduro and Chavez came to power because they promised to put an end to that and to raise up the, the population in general. Now, and you know, then, of course, one thing led to another, including they're their requesting all of the Venezuelans, forcing them to give up their weapons, because, et cetera, et cetera. And back, now, back to our original segment. 
Well, that's true. I mean, disarm that, that's disarm the people. They disarm just like Fidel Castro disarmed the people. Well, just you, like Lenin you, disarmed the people. You get just me. like Adolf Hitler disarmed the people. Yeah, you disarm us and we're done. The right to keep and bear arms protects all of the other rights that we have. And there are a lot of people that are just they're goofy in this area. And the thing is this, you know, we're way down this road right now of state control of our lives. And we've been given decades and decades of propaganda by the news media, by Hollywood, by the entire entertainment industry. And the, and the money men behind the news media. That promotes this idea that large government controlling people's lives is good. When it's yeah, they good, know better, right? And, and, and it's readily demonstrable that it's not good. They have to just look around. But people, unfortunately, are going to believe what they want to believe. And people are going to want to believe that they'll be taken care of by some bureaucrat someplace. <laughs> really? And a lot of people <laughs> want to believe that. Yeah, it's patrimony. A lot of them want that. And there's an entire, on top of those people that want to be taken care of and want to believe that that's a good thing, there's an entire industry built around taking the wealth from those who work very hard and transfer it to those who don't work so hard or can't work so hard. So you have an enormous, an enormous mountain to climb up to get to the other side and bring people to the truth. Mitt Romney. We might be taking too long. Because we don't fix the freaking school system. Well, you, well, you have well, to have okay, students well, apt. I'll discuss that with you. But but Mitt Romney, you know, pr- said something about oh well, there's 47 percent that's already on the other side. Well, he's absolutely correct. Instead of doubling down on that as he should have, he then backed away and was all embarrassed by it. In my view, had he been a strong candidate, he would have got down. This is absolutely correct. There's a whole bunch of people who are supported by everybody else because they don't work very hard. Yeah, the conflict, then there's the an conflict. enormous industry devoted to the transfer of wealth to those people and what. And and we got to get away from that. But he didn't do that. He kind of backed off because he's he's not a confrontational kind of guy. Um, yeah, he's, but he's, he's a guy he's, who, who desperately wants minute, to time be out. Right. He wants to be real confrontational now with Trump. Well, yeah, he says some really, you know, uh, some snarky things. But again, he didn't come out right out to to, to challenge Trump. He kind of said a couple of snarky things here and a couple of snarky. No, things he did, and he gave that, that he gave that big that big speech that he's a, that Trump's a con artist. I mean, he came out hard and strong because he had his sights on running for U.S. Senate, and then he was seen right after the election. Why did Trump give him video cred, having dinner with a guy in New York? And then coming out of his uh, the uh, Bedminster uh, golf course in New York, in New Jersey that Trump had came out of there too. His granddaughter. The thing is, Trump uh, that Romney's so handsome, you can't figure out these people that are my age are his actually grandkids. It's kind of hard to believe. Uh, who's now running? Uh, she came out of the uh, the Michigan Republican Party to run the entire Republican Party. I forgot her name, um, Daniels uh, something Daniels. And look what he did. He turned on them. That's wow. the most ungracious kind of person on the planet. And I voted for him twice. I voted for him when he lost to McCain. I voted for him again the next year. And it's disgusting that that Republicans just can keep on dropping the ball on moral courage. How can you not 
win these things when the people against you are complete and absolute democomies. All of them. Every one of those liberals are just completely politically bipolar. Hopefully, um, the young conservatives coming up are going to be a lot more confrontational. Perfect example. Turning Point USA, two stars that need to just stay together. Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens. And Candace has already bailed. Less than a year together. And I, I met them personally. I got to be backstage with them. I got to get like a general feel for them. It was really joy to be around. I really had a lot of hope. She, African-American, he, a, a young whippersnapper from, you know, toxic uh, Demokami Chicago area. He chose not to go to college, to not get all wound up in college and be, you know, propagandized and indoctrinated. He stayed out, and apparently some man said, I will fund you. I will make this happen. I've got friends. We're going to do this. Don't go to college. Speak up. And look. She's already gone as communications director of Turning Point USA. It was so easy to uh, now the the blacks are going to attack her right away because she's marrying a white guy from uh, London. I wonder if that had any, anything to do with her leaving Turning Point USA. Uh, Mr. Prager hired her at Prager University. Probably was more than what Turning Point USA could pay her, but she's too talented to to have left this movement. There's so much work to be done. Man, in less than two years, man, gone. And no, she's not entirely gone yet. Here's the thing. You've got to take advantage of opportunities personally when they when they come to you. I'm sure she does. And I'm sure she did that. And at the same time, uh, if you strongly believe in something, which she does, you'll continue to be involved one way or another, maybe inspire other people. Um I don't know her. Um, I've heard her talk on a number of different occasions. Did you see what she did in Congress to the Democrats? They tried to, they tried to misquote her, and she fired back. Oh, she's, she's a very bright. She's a very, she's a very bright person. Look, the, the, it is, uh, it is, the Democrats do view the black population in the United States as, as being, a gimme as being a gimme, as being on their plantation. There's no question about that. They figured out in the 1950s and 60s. Right after the uh, Goldwater election. They figured out that by giving our black citizens a lot of stuff and saying it just comes from us Democrats, um, they would incentivize the blacks that completely change over to become Democrats rather than Republicans. And they started and they, off as Republicans. And they recognize that people respond to incentives. Now, it became clear by the late 1960s, even in the Democratic Party, was that the incentives that they gave resulted directly in the destruction of the black families and was resulting in, in the destruction of the black communities. Well, don't you think there was a Daniel, certain amount of paternalism there? They Dan, wanted to get Daniel rid of the black Pat, man? Daniel Patrick Moynihan, a senator from New York, a very bright guy, studied the problem with a, um, you know, a Senate panel. Uh, you know, what was going to be done about the, you know, the Negro problem in those days? And he says the best thing that can be done is benign neglect. Allow them, allow that segment of our society 
to formulate its own way out of the problems. And until you don't lend a little bit of a hand here, but certainly not to continue with these programs. William Bain, uh, um, President Johnson, Lyndon Baines Johnson at the time, said, oh, no, we're going to use this as an opportunity to solidify the black vote forever to the Democratic Party. I think he Party. was a little bit more vulgar about it than you're saying. Unfortunately. Well, he was, he, he was, but, you know, so what? Now, so starting at least in the 60s, and going forward, the Democratic Party absolutely understood that what they were doing was destroying the black community. They absolutely understood that what they were doing was taking advantage of people who were in the process of becoming more educated, becoming more uh, developed, and really beginning to accept all the benefits that the American, uh, you know, living in, in the United States offered, and to leave behind them the legacy of, uh, of slavery. They recognize that by offering them all of these goodies, they're going to destroy the forward progress of the black community. And then on top, they did something even worse. They sent into the black community lots and lots of, uh, of, uh, agree, of by socially the way, conscious uh, uh, people to be their lawyers, to be their doctors, but they're all white. They weren't black. They didn't allow... Um, the black populace develop its own group of lawyers, its own group of doctors, its own groups of accountants, et cetera, et cetera. They instead send people down there. Uh, and it just, it just has continued forever in that particular direction. The Southern Poverty some... Law Center today is run by a, a white guy. I mean, it just it, it, completely emasculating as far as I'm concerned. And a few people like Candace Owens have, have recognized that the Democratic Party really, really is a deeply racist party. Absolutely. And wants to keep our black citizens in tow. On the other hand, unfortunately, people are going to believe what they want to believe. And I've heard many interviews where, where people have said from the black community, says, uh, uh, words to the effect of, well, you're going to take away my mother's welfare and I'm going to get you for doing that. And it's, Not, and it's also a racist Republican who wants to do it. Yes, uh, and and because the development of that segment of uh, of our of our society did not take place intellectually, so there's no critical thinking whatsoever. Then, on the other hand, you have an awful lot of uh, limousine liberals, white, who live very very well and uh, want to feel good about themselves, and are maybe a little embarrassed by the fact that they have uh, so much more money than everybody else. I think it's a good idea to to help people. And they unwittingly... Yeah, but with someone else's money. Well, yeah, it's always with somebody else's money. That's the last statement of our show. It's now the end of The Concrete Gentleman. It's second show, so I thank you very much for coming to Blinker Radio, WSQF 94.5, where we have, when we're not talking, rock and roll. No commercials. Only in the age of... Trump. Stay free, my friends. Teach your children. Crosby, Still, and Nash. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. 
Take care and stay free.